Slate Plus members, it's survey time again, which means it's your chance to tell us what you think about Slate Plus and Slate in general. It'll only take a few minutes and you can find it at slate.com slash survey. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello and welcome to another mini episode of Dear Prudence. I'm your host, Danny M. Lavery, and this show is for you, our Plus subscribers. Our guest this week is Grace Lavery, a professor of English at UC Berkeley whose new memoir, Please Miss, will be published by Seal Press in 2022. Hello, Grace. Welcome to the show. Hi, Danny. Uh, It's lovely to be here. It's Uh, been a while. uh, How long has it been? I think almost a year. We've definitely done a couple of these in COVID times. I've certainly seen you since the last time you were on the show. I've barely seen the absence of you since the beginning of COVID times. There's been a lot of togetherness. I have loved every minute of it. I am looking forward immensely. Uh, I feel like the questions we have today are are one of a kind. Each of them is one of its own kind. And um, more than that, I think uh, you are uniquely qualified to help us address all of them. I'm not at all sure that that's true, but I did want to just clarify the punchline to my last sentence. I've enjoyed every minute of your company, comma, she said dryly. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I stepped on that. I'm so sorry. No, I, I could have fought for a little bit more. I just wanted to make sure she said dryly was part of the record there. Just for the transcript. I felt it. Thank you, love. Would you read our first letter? I'd be really happy to. This one's called In Professional Purgatory. Dear Prudence, I have been in a new job now for about a month and a half, and I keep wondering how long I can really have to stay. I'm agonizing over when I can please, please leave and do something actually cool. I would have been thrilled to get this a few years ago, but at this point in my career, I am substantially underpaid. This would be fine if I felt passionate about the work here, but I don't. I applied only here because I felt I would never get a job that I really wanted anyways. I was definitely qualified for this, and it would be easy. So it wasn't even worth trying and facing the rejection from someplace I was legitimately excited about. I'm not at all unsure about what I want to do. I'm fairly ambitious and have a very clear vision of what I would ideally want, and I am even reasonably qualified for it. I'm not saying this to brag, only to say that at least my educational qualifications do more or less match the profile of my dream job. I am just afraid that it is too late for me to get on that track. My boss is very nice and supportive, and the job is fairly cushy. I'm 27 with a prestigious master's degree and a few years of relevant experience, and I feel that I am way too old and qualified to be in this type of stupid starter job. My friends and family are all significantly more successful than I am. I'm still staying with my parents due to the pandemic, and I'm considering staying here, even if conditions improve, until I can at least have a job that I can be proud of when I meet new people. I feel rather sad that I can't build a new community or relationship for at least another year and a half. I've already bailed on a bad job once before, and I feel bad for not having learned my lesson. I'm so anxious about being labeled an unreliable job hopper. I feel that I've waited five years to start my life, only to find that I have to wait even longer, and I may never even get there anyways. I really wish I could just deserve to be professionally satisfied and fulfilled, and I feel so disappointed that I have to wait at least a whole year or so, says the internet, to move on. I'm smart and capable and careful and hardworking and passionate. 
but it increasingly feels that no one will ever recognize that. Please, how long do I really have to wait it out before I have served enough of my sentence? When am I allowed to enjoy what I do and be proud of what I accomplished? This, by the way, is a letter that I have edited down now three times. And it's still, I think, the longest one we have. But this was originally easily twice as long. It was very long. I remember reading the earlier one and and thinking more or less what I think of the shorter version, which is, you know, um, you you might have somewhat unrealistic expectations of uh, what a labor market looks like. Uh, I I wish you all the best. By all means, quit your job uh, and do what you want to do. But that doesn't mean that there isn't work to be done adjusting your expectations, including your expectations of yourself, which at this point seem um, really difficult to get a handle on. I think one of the things that's really strange about this letter is that there's a great deal of sort of puffery and you know self-assertion. I, I can do this. I'm capable. I'm qualified. I've got a prestigious master's degree, as if there's any such thing as a... Sorry, don't actually don't... <laughs> <laughs> no, keep that in. No. Keep that in. Grace, Grace, uh, what degree do you have? I, I have several master's degrees. None of them are especially prestigious. Um, in any case, my point, my point being, we get, we get a lot of sort of um, puffery. We get a lot of uh, you know, self-assertion. That's good. Confidence is good. Direction is good. Knowing where you want to go is good. But at no point do you tell us what it is you want to do. Um, maybe your dream is to be a baker, but you're stuck as a butcher's apprentice. Maybe your dream is to be an investment banker, but you're stuck you know, working at a local games workshop store. Um, you know, I, I've no idea how to advise you without those details. Um, I don't know whether your plans are more realistic than the things that you're currently doing. Uh, all I know is that you have a high opinion of yourself, which again, I applaud. I have a very high opinion of myself too. But I, I, I can't quite fill in the blanks here. I don't really know enough to give concrete advice. You know, quit, quit your job if you want to quit your job. Stay in your job if you want to stay in your job. But what I would really say is sort of, you know, if you're 27 and you're saying I'm too old, I can reassure you, at least in one sense, I didn't have a job in my chosen field until I was 30 years old. No one that I know did. Um, I'm an academic. So, you know, there's no question, no no one at the age of 27 is thinking the clock is ticking. Everyone at the age of 27 is is feeling what you're feeling, which I which I remember very, very profoundly, which is, when is life going to start for me? When am I going to arrive? When you want to live? How do you start? Where do you go? Who do you need to know? Um, as the Smith so memorably put it. Um, and again, no, I mean, I, I'm being sort of a little bit harsher than I would like to be because there is an absence of detail. If it helps, I plan on being a little harsher, so... Okay, well, that's that's great, you know, especially if we um, manage to get rid of my line about prestigious master's degree. But my point being, um, you have a job. Lots of people don't have jobs. You're making money. Lots of people aren't making money. You're thinking about careers solely in terms, seemingly, of your own self-grandification. Um, I would think, you know, again, it's it, what, what one falls into this kind of almost boomerish, you know, paternalism when one talks in these terms, but you know, why not uh, start thinking less in terms of how you're going to express your uh, the, the creative spark that makes you who you are and more in terms of how you're going to make use for other people out of the skills that you have? How are you going to put your self-confidence to the collective good? And, and again, I want to be clear, you know, I, I sense some arrogance in this letter. I think that's probably something the letter writer will have had experience of being called. I am arrogant. I do not think arrogance is a sort of moral horror um, I think, however, it is an opportunity to turn outwards and ask how you can be useful to other people, both in the work that you do professionally 
and, and also, you know, in, in other modes too. But but my basic answer here, I think, is that I, I just don't know enough to, to offer the to, the answer that the, the letter writer wants from me because, you know, you're asking me to compare two professional tracks without telling me what either of them are. So I can't, I don't know. Yeah, and to be clear, my harshness is also not based around you sound arrogant, you should stop. But it's, um, you know, all of this confidence that's showing up in this letter is not translating into the things that you do in your daily life. You say, I applied to one job because I decided in advance that if I applied to jobs I didn't know I was going to be offered, it wouldn't be worth the rejection. And now uh, I'm starting to think it might have been worth the rejection. Uh, how could this have happened? It's incredibly clear how this happened. You applied to one job you didn't really want. Yeah. So the, you know, your, your, your problem is incredibly straightforward. You didn't apply to other jobs. And, and this sort of uh, someday my prince will come energy at the end of this letter, you know, please, when am I going to get what I want? When is somebody going to recognize how I'm languishing here? Is that the second Smith's reference? <laughs> it might be. Please, please, please. It is. It, it could have been written by Morrissey in yeah. some ways. This is like the kind of, you know, the midpoint of Morrissey and Gordon Gecko, I guess. You know. <laughs> Greed is good, mixed with heaven knows I'm miserable now. Yeah, and, and so this, this, this question, how long do I have to wait it out until you stop waiting? No one is going to stop by your office and say, my God, you've been completely overlooked, you wonderful creature. You know, here's the keys to the kingdom. Let's go. No one is going to do that. So the question is, how long do I have to wait here until you start applying for other jobs? And it's certainly true that generally speaking, you know, internet advice columnists or, or professional advice web rings or what have you are not going to, I don't know, that was the first word that came to mind. You have a web ring? You know, like from GeoCities and everything back in the day. I don't know what a web ring is. I'm just wondering whether you have one with other advice columnists. No. So why am I only hearing about it now? Get on Google Reader. <laughs> And uh, the, the point is, sure, generally speaking, people recommend that you don't quit a lot of jobs two months in. Uh, it's not a great pattern. It also doesn't mean that you can't start looking for other jobs you might like to apply to a few months from now. You know, a year passes fairly quickly. You're already a few months into this job. Presumably, by the time you hear this episode, you'll be another month or so in. So if you start looking for jobs six months into the job that you have now, there's every chance that it will take you until a full year to get an interview. So start now. You don't have to quit this job to start looking for other ones. Um, but you will never get another job unless you apply for other jobs. That's just not going to be how it will happen. The other thing that I wanted to address was this idea that until I have a job I can be incredibly proud of, I can't imagine myself even after, you know, this whole pandemic is over, which I know it's not going to be exactly. But like, I, I couldn't go to parties. I couldn't go on a date. I couldn't make friends. My job is to put myself in a chrysalis until I get a good job and then my life can begin. And that just seems like a great way to make sure the next few years are absolutely miserable. That's not going to do anything to increase your self-confidence. That's not going to do anything to make you feel like you have an enjoyable life outside of work. That's not going to do anything to reduce the sense of pressure that you're already under. Um, so whatever you need to do to work on that, do it. But and safely, you know, obviously, one of these things where you know you may have to get more used to being tested regularly and that kind of thing. But you know, I, I think I think Danny's right. I, I think that um, it's weird these things. Sometimes I address you, Danny, as you, and sometimes I address the letter writer as you. Presumably, there are moments when one would also address the the audience as you. Apologies, I'm an English professor. I get obsessed with personal pronouns. Um, but 
the yeah the the point there or part of the point there is that you are not your you Danny and you letter writer are not your profession and you know in fact at its best a feeling of professional satisfaction can be a vehicle for um, the conveyance of you to the world, to the, the productivity that you're able to bring into the world. At the worst, a labor relationship is one of the exploitation of workers and the extraction of surplus values and the conditions of escalating oppression and violence. Um, it doesn't sound to me like that's what you're talking about. You know, it doesn't sound to me like what you're talking about is the violent extraction of surplus values. It sounds to me more like, you know, the kind of dull, grueling work of um bureaucracy and 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 again i sympathize i mean you know i love my my job i i i am very very grateful for for my for my work in any number of ways and yet at the same time i think sometimes academics talk about academic labor as though it were a gift uh you know as though one were lucky to get a job which of course is true numerically and then of course it's also true that we are workers as well. We are we we are working under conditions of alienation and exploitation, um, relatively privileged ones, but 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 relations of exploitation and domination nonetheless. All of this is to say that it may be on top of everything else. You're romanticizing what professional satisfaction could be or could feel like, and uh, it might be worth investing in other. Uh, and here I'm talking. You are the the letter writer, not Danny. I don't think Danny does this. If anything, the opposite. But. You know, I would say you can invest um, energy, letter writer, in in other non professional avenues. Yeah, I, I, I think really just to sum up, uh, I, I'm not cross with you, letter writer, for thinking highly of yourself. I'm not cross with you for feeling frustrated by your ambition and your sense of I guess I should be grateful for this job, but I don't like it. You don't have to like it. I, I think generally when people say something like you should be grateful to have a job, I don't know if that gratitude would actually translate to helping other people who don't have jobs. So I'm not especially interested in telling you to consider the position of others in that regard. But, um, you know, if you're fairly ambitious, apply for other jobs. Start now. Don't quit your job in order to apply for other jobs full time, but use your ambition to apply for other jobs that you think you would like better. And then in the meantime, uh, the only thing that I think you will guarantee for yourself is if you put off establishing any kind of a social life until you can feel proud of your job is that you will put off a social life that's meaningful to you and you will convince yourself that any future lovers or friends or, or anyone who kind of comes into your orbit only likes you because you have an impressive job. So if you ever have a problem or get fired uh, or run into unemployment, uh, your friends won't like you anymore and, and you will be creating more problems for yourself further down the line. So ambition's fine. Telling yourself, I don't deserve to have friends until I have my perfect job, not fine. Um, that's it. Good luck. Wait, I've got two. Okay, just one quick one, right? Which is that if you're looking for a Smith's record that will sort of express the condition that you're in, um, I think that actually I would recommend going for Louder Than Bombs. You, you, you might be tempted to go for Strange Ways Here We Come because it has, you know, some of the classics. Like, I Won't Share You would seem to be a song that would kind of express your position. But it actually... I think you're in a louder than bombs phase of your life, uh, which is to say, I think you want to listen to, especially, um, you just haven't earned it, baby. Uh, heaven knows I'm miserable now. And then a little bit of ask and panic, maybe. Sheila, take a bow. William, it was really nothing. Shoplifters of the World Unite. I think if you listen to some of those like singles and B-sides, it's like a little bit more poppy than a lot of the more sort of broody album tracks that they're well known for. Um, I th- you know, I think you'll you'll get a, a perspective on your own situation that will that will help you put it in in some context. 
And of course, you should pirate this album because Morrissey is a fascist and you shouldn't give him any money. I, sorry, of course that's true. And, um, you know, it, it is one of those things where, you know, it, 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 to be a Morrissey fan, I, God, am I going to get into trouble? So, no, to, be, to be someone who has ever cared about Morrissey, which I am, is to hope that he dies uh, imminently and to wish, in fact, that he had died several years ago because he's been pissing on his legacy ever since National Front Disco. Um, yes, he's a fascist and we shouldn't give him any money. Uh, nonetheless, I recommend many of those tracks on Louder Than Bombs. It's a paradox, but I guess it's a little bit further away from the letter than we need to be. That almost sounds like a Smith song. It's a paradox, but it's further away from the letter than it needs to be. Yeah. And with that, I will take us into our second letter, which is blessedly short, uh, although it does have a pun that makes me absolutely furious. Okay. Uh, or, or not even a pun. Uh, you just chosen letters that are going to make like get us angry today. No, no, I, I haven't tried to to make us angry. I have been looking for short ones because lately I've been plagued by long ones. Um, so uh, it's not a pun so much Plague as a euphemism. True. True. That's a great point. Uh, these letters are not a plague. <laughs> Thank you. That's, that's useful context. Grace. So the subject of this letter is glass bowl needs glass kicking. Now the euphemism here, of course, is asshole needs ass kicking. It's, oh. it's okay to say asshole on this show. So dear Prudence, I love my funny, kind, generous, loving wife more than anything. She's my best friend, partner in crime, just the bee's knees and everything in between. I mean, there's a lot of aggression, I'd say, in your voice right now. I, I, I agree. I agree that there is. I think it's justified, but I'm also, uh, I'm also willing to discuss it afterwards okay, if you want to go into that. I just wanted to note that as yeah. someone who just is an observer right now. I do sometimes read letters with a, an inflection. A participant observer. I can't imagine my life without her. The problem, and I loathe to admit it. Sorry, the problem, and I'm loathe to admit it is that she's gained over 20 pounds during quarantine. Oh, fuck that. You see why I was... No, fair enough. Yeah. yeah. Uh, she feels self-conscious and ugly, and I go to great pains to reassure her that I love her and find her attractive. But the truth is, I don't anymore. The only way I can be intimate with her is by turning off the lights or closing my eyes, which is horrible. I feel like such a glass bowl. What can I do to overcome this? So, Grace, you did correctly note that there was a, a lot of sarcasm in my voice. And I feel like part of what I found really unpleasant about this letter was that combination of, like, cutesy euphemism for... I'm such a douchebag. Yeah. Oh, my God. I can't... I can't that, can I say that? Can I say okay? asshole on the air? Oh, my God. Um, and, like, the she's the bee's knees. And then, like, oh, I hate to admit it. Oh, no, I have to close my eyes. So I just... And closing my eyes is horrible. Right. And there, you sleep at night? <laughs> that was good that was good um and then especially too that the vagueness of i try to reassure her that i love her and find her attractive but the truth is i don't anymore and i don't like do you mean you don't find her attractive anymore or do you also mean you don't love her anymore despite the whole funny kind generous stuff she's the bee's knees she's just the knees of a bee she's the bollocks of the dog i just wish that bee were more wasp wasted ah yeah Fat phobia is real. Fuck you. Sorry, but that's how I feel about this. Fat phobia is real. You've got to confront this in yourself and in the world. Yeah, I just, to me, like, when I think about what people have been going through in quarantine and how unbelievably stressful the conditions of life are, even under the best of circumstances, the idea that in one very, very bad year, a person might gain 20 pounds and not like sometimes I find myself, you know, confronting my own fat phobia I'm trying to, you know, 
roll with the punches as best I can. Just like, I can't bear to fuck the love of my life anymore because of 20 extra pounds just feels like, you know, I, if I were to try to help this person, I, I think I would start with, you need to lose the euphemisms in your life. Mm-hmm. I think part of this is connected to, asshole. yeah, like I can't say asshole. I have to say bees knees instead of really using just honest language about the person I live with. Mm-hmm. Does that, does that feel connected? to No, that? I think that's, that's totally right. Yeah. It, you can't say the word fat. Um, you frame her the changes in her body in terms of her feelings. She feels self-conscious and ugly. And then a kind of embarrassing secret that it has produced in you, which is to say you've created a melodrama around this rather than confronted your own feelings or the facts of the case. Um, no, I, I think that you need to get honest with yourself about what you're looking for in this situation. And if what you're looking for in this situation is, I cannot bear to be in the same room as a fat woman, um, then spare your wife, please, because you have work to do. Yeah, especially I go to great pains to reassure her. I mean, first of all, I think... You mean lie to her. Yeah, and if, her. if it's anything like the language in this letter, I'm guessing it's a little bit treacly. Yeah. Um, and so I would, I would advise you to stop doing that. Um, if she tells you, I feel bad about how I look today or I feel ugly, uh, I, I, not that I want you to say, I'm so glad you brought it up because so do I. Um, but stop saying, no, you look amazing, sweetheart. Like, engage with her real feelings. Yeah. Ask her what's going on. But he doesn't care. I, Does I, he, I, I don't know. I don't get the impression that he cares at all. I mean, I don't know. It is, my 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 feeling here is, I, I guess you must probably have this experience a lot where you get a letter from one person and you just wish you could hear the the letter from the other person. I know what I would say to the wife, which would be, leave this douchebag. <laughs> um and it's it's more difficult to know what to say to the husband. What has he written to you to try to get? I guess that's the question. Um, I, I think he probably wants to be told that it is okay to feel a little bit embarrassed. Although, on the other hand, sorry, he was written to you in order to be told that it's okay to find your wife ugly because she's put on 20 pounds. Um, but there's something else too. There's actually something masochistic here, which is making itself known in the euphemisms that you've noted, Danny, but also in this subject letter, in the subject line, um, glass, bo- glass bowl needs glass kicking. So it's like, you know, fuck me up, Daniel Lavery. Yeah, yeah. The idea is like, um, I'm supposed to find this weight gain attractive. Cancel me culture. Yeah, that's the moral thing to do. Yeah. Um, even though if we're all honest with ourselves, wouldn't anyone be a little grossed yeah, out by exactly. 20 extra pounds? So someone just come over here and like kick me in the ass. I feel bad, but I can't do anything. But it's the real truth of the matter. Right, like, what can I do to overcome this? Not my fault. You'd feel the same way too. Yeah. No, by the way, uh, that is not a universal truth at all. It is not a universal truth at all. I'm not going to uh, cheapen this conversation by listing hot, fat people, but there are plenty of them on fat Instagram that I encourage you to find. Um, The idea that there is a simplistic or monopodal answer that you can... Uh, cheekily and cheaply assume uh, that your correspondence share is uh, part of what is keeping you unhappy in this situation. Yeah. Um, avoid euphemisms. Stop. Name your desire. Name your desire. Stop lying to your wife. Don't take that as an opportunity to be cruel to your wife. If you don't want to have sex, don't have sex. Um, and then deal with whatever comes as a result of that, that might mean sometimes that your wife is upset because she wants to have sex and you two will have to honestly deal with that. 
again, speak kindly. I am not saying drop all pretense and tell her that you think she's disgusting. But, you know, if you can't even imagine the idea of trying to have sex with your wife with the lights on while she's 20 pounds heavier than she was a year ago, like, at, at the, the, the least you can do is not have sex with your wife. Don't do that to her and don't do that to yourself. Um, that is it. Those are, I think, all the pieces. I don't want to, like, offer you a series of reading lists, like, how to dismantle fat phobia. Get rid of as well, yeah. No, it, it, it is perfectly easy to do that work. And I think that there is something about the masochism that presents in this letter that is inviting that kind of disciplinary or didactic response. Give me a reading list until I can learn to find fat sexy. Yeah, no. Just maybe rewatch that David Lynch uh, line from the new Twin Peaks over and over. I told those clown comics to fix their hearts or die. Yeah, fix your heart or die, yeah. It's the answer to many, many problems. He's a wise man. Yeah, and actually just really watch, watch Twin Peaks The Return. Yeah, are there fat people in that? I don't know. I I don't know that it especially has much to say about fatness. Has I just a lot to say about desire. Has a lot avowal. to say about desire, desire and avowal and bodies. And it's you know it's yeah, a long the treatment of people who are changing. And it's a long project. You know, it's going to take you more than just a night or two. And it's not you know a three point unlearning plan, but it it might you know. You have work to do, buddy. You have work to do, and we're not gonna we're not we're not gonna set you homework. It's your work. Good luck. That's our mini episode of Dear Prudence for this week. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. As always, if you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327, and you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location. And at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds, a minute tops. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. 